Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everyone. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome to everyone that's showing up for the first time. Anybody that's joining us online for the first time, welcome to you. Um, I like to start class by having you talk to each other. Um, we do a Buddhist meditation, but a core part of Buddhism is connecting with other people on the path. The path is uh, how we refer to the practices of Buddhism, the eightfold path. Um, it's really important to meet other people who are interested in this because it's rare to, to actually know people who are serious about developing wisdom and living a wise life and becoming compassionate and kind and forgiving. And so we, we need each other. We take refuge in the, it's called the Sangha, the community. Tonight I'm going to talk about and start a series for the next few Mondays where I'm going to um, give teachings and practices on the, the Buddha's heart practices, what we call um, developing a wise heart, um, positive emotional responses to uh, life, to reality. And uh, they are loving kindness. Maybe you've heard uh, in Buddhism, it's called metta, loving kindness, meditation practice. Uh, karuna, compassion, developing compassion for pain, for our pain and the pain of others. Appreciation, non-attached appreciation, and um, which is also taught as um, empathetic or sympathetic appreciating other people's happiness. The opposite of jealousy, you know, and sometimes when you have that feeling when someone else is happy and you're like, fuck that guy. Successful bastard. And then, you know, the Buddha is saying, actually, the enlightened response is uh, good for you. I appreciate you. I, I congratulate you. I, uh, I celebrate and I enjoy your success. I, I empathize with your happiness rather than feel threatened and jealous about it. Um, and equanimity. So loving kindness, compassion appreciation and equanimity and then um, forgiveness i would kind of add to the list the traditional list is just the four loving kindness compassion appreciation equanimity forgiveness is an aspect of loving kindness uh, according to the buddha in order to truly be in loving kindness towards ourselves and to others we have to first free ourselves from resentment from hatred from ill will from wishing harm upon our enemies in order to really uh, open this loving uh, capacity within us we have to learn to forgive ourselves and to forgive each other and to ask for forgiveness and to make amends for the harms that we have caused in our lives when you think about for a moment think about this list forgiveness how's your forgiveness skills it's a skill it's a practice if you were going to rate your forgiveness skill one to 10, are you like a ninja at forgiving yourself? 
Or are you like a kindergartner? Like, I, I don't know much about forgiveness. Not very good at it. I'm good at hating, good at resenting, super good at self-centered fear, not that good at forgiveness. When you think of loving kindness, are you generally kind to yourself? To your mind, when your mind is critical, are you kind to the criticizing mind, the judging mind? Or are you kind of shut the fuck up to your mind? Are you angry, unkind to your own, own mind? Now, all of these, there's no judgment. I hope the way that I'm saying it doesn't sound too critical or judgmental. Uh, from a Buddhist perspective, it's just the way we are humans. It's normal to be unloving, unkind, unforgiving, not very appreciative, not very equanimous. That's normal. What Buddhism is giving us are tools to develop the skill of forgiveness, of compassion, of non-attached appreciation, empathetic appreciation, to uh, develop equanimity. It's something that comes with months and years of meditative training. This path leads us to these positive emotional responses. So set up these five, forgiveness, loving kindness, compassion, appreciation, equanimity. When you reflect on yourself, where you're at, what comes up? What, what, um, what needs work? What are you working on? Uh, maybe you've become really good at being kind, but still not so good at appreciation. Maybe you're quite easy to appreciate but um, not a lot of compassion. Maybe, um, you know, equanimity, you know, comes naturally to you, but um, you have a lot of resentments, not a lot of forgiveness. And all of us, you know, if we're honest, we'll kind of check, you know, part of, part of what we're doing in, in this kind of practice is this introspection and this analysis and this humble acknowledgement. I'm not as free as I'd like to be. I'm not as free as I could be when it comes to being forgiving or compassionate. I'm not as compassionate as I'd like to be. I know if I was more compassionate, I would suffer a lot less than I do. I know if I was more uh, non-attached in my appreciation of the success of others, I wouldn't have that envy and jealousy that has me striving uh, so often in my life and resentful at other people's happiness. So that humble uh, self-awareness of like, yeah, I'm not very good at any of that shit. That's why I'm here, asshole. Why are you asking me to admit it publicly? And even the ability, uh, you know, some of you maybe have been practicing for a long time. There can be this I don't know, sort of attitude in spiritual circles of like, well, you're not allowed to brag. You're not allowed to be like, yeah, I'm really fucking forgiving. I'm the most compassionate person probably in the whole room. You know, of course, we don't want to um, that, but I am asking you, this is a long-winded setup, to talk to each other about what you're working on, maybe a little bit about how you've seen how these practices have led to more states of compassion 
or forgiveness or appreciation or more uh, equanimity. Maybe you've seen some progress over the years of your practice. Maybe you're brand new and this just sounds like a good idea. Like, you know, you hear it and you're like, oh yeah, I'd like that. That's why I'm here. I'd like to work on this stuff. So discuss kindness, compassion, equanimity, and maybe to keep it concise, choose one. What's your relationship like? Choose one that feels like, oh, that's the one when he says it, there's something in me that resists it and knows that's where my work is. <laughs> or there's something in me that, does that make sense? You know, sometimes when you hear something and your kind of ass gets tight, you're like, oh, fuck, forgiveness. Makes my ass tight. <laughs> or appreciation or whatever it is for you. That, that there's that kind of visceral, last week we talked about soft belly. Like what kind of, oh, forgiveness tightens me. You know, my belly gets, my jaw clenches, my ass gets tight, whatever it is. So choose one and uh, talk a little bit about your experience with one of these practices, positive emotional responses. And then we'll do some meditation. We'll start with loving kindness meditation tonight and we'll move on the next few weeks. Um, small groups, introduce yourself to two or three people in the room you don't know, and then talk to them about this stuff. Before I give the meditation instructions, I have a few more things to say, perspectives to share about this. As you're probably aware, may, maybe, maybe not, depending on how new to practice you are, uh, the Buddha's core teachings begins with the acknowledgement of suffering, the first noble truth. There's a level of suffering that we all experience, that all living beings experience. Maybe we find ourselves here because we've gotten curious and, and uh, disillusioned with some of the ways that life is providing us with uh, not enough happiness and too much suffering. The second truth uh, points out that all of our suffering is created by repetitive craving. And that that's true for everyone. It's craving, it's clinging, it's aversion, it's natural, it's not personal, it's not your fault. It's part of the human instinctual drive towards survival, which manifests as craving for pleasure and aversion to pain, attachment, aversion, self-centeredness, the human condition. The good news of Buddhism is it's not your fault. It's not sin. It's not failure. It's not a defect of character. It's not a shortcoming. It's not because you're a broken toy. It's because you have a nervous system. <laughs> uh, it's because you uh, have a you know sensitive psyche, psychology that is you know easily wounded, traumatized, and um, craving is natural, is normal, is totally impersonal. But the third truth says we don't have to stay stuck in the in the status quo. 
the norm is to go through life chasing pleasure, running from pain, resenting, hating, you know, loving the pleasure, hating the pain of existence. And this is just a kind of, you know, turns into a pretty miserable life. And the third noble truth is it's actually possible. This is the Buddha's insight, his awakening. It's actually possible to end suffering, to come to a place in our lives where we don't turn pain into suffering. We just learn how to be with our pain, with our discomfort. And this is where compassion comes in. Compassion is the uh, wise response. We could call it the antidote to suffering about pain is developing compassion. This is, uh, and the, the other half of that is our natural tendency to cling to pleasure, get attached to pleasure, crave for pleasure. It's possible to develop non-attachment. Mindfulness shows us the impermanent nature, the truth of constant change and how clinging always hurts us. And then, you know, the Dharma, our meditation practice, the wisdom develops and sees, starts to, to show us and to develop the ability to be non-attached to pleasure, to appreciate pleasure, to enjoy pleasure. And this is that, that teaching that we'll get to in the next couple of weeks of non-attached appreciation and, and sympathetic joy. There's opportunities every day to enjoy pleasure without turning it into suffering, without clinging to it. And not only ours, but each other's. There's all of these people in the world having pleasure, having happiness and enjoying themselves. And how often does our you know, tendency uh, feel jealous about that? feel take it personal other people's happiness like there's somehow less for us part of the third noble truth the the truth that we can end suffering is that we can learn to meet uh, pleasure with non-attachment other people's pleasure and happiness with appreciation rather than feeling threatened by it jealous envy coveting all of those things that you know they're on all of the lists because they're pretty natural human mind states and Buddhism is offering us this really radical tool, ability, intervention that says, actually, you don't need to stay stuck in the status quo. You can train your mind to be kind, to be compassionate, to be non-attached. And it will lead to equanimity, this feeling of well-being in the midst of both joy and sorrow, in the midst of both gain, getting what you want, or not getting what you want gain and loss, losing what you want to keep. The Buddha said that his seven-year journey, spiritual search, which led him, he said, I, I hit a bunch of dead ends. I, you know, I went and studied with this guru and they taught me about, con you know, they taught me TM and that shit didn't work. And I went and studied with this guru and they taught me about, you know, how to, you know, do the downward dog and that shit didn't work. And, you know, I had all these dead ends of like teachers that uh, he said, and then I, um, he said, I, I knew that it was my attachment, my aversion that was the cause of my suffering. So then he spent years in asceticism of saying like, well, if it's craving for pleasure, that's the problem. I'll just not have any pleasure ever again. <laughs> I'll renounce all pleasure. I'll, you know, and I'll go live naked in the forest and just be, uh, you know, ascetic, you know, kind of extreme renunciate. 
And he said, and then, you know, no matter how much I defied craving, I still had craving. No matter how much I, you know, rejected pleasure, I still was attached to pleasure and averse to pain. And it's when he discovered mindfulness. He said mindfulness was the turning point. Present time, non-judgmental awareness was the turning point. And when I learned mindfulness, I learned the truth of impermanence and how to be non-reactive to the cravings and the aversions, to not take them personal, to not think that they were something that I had to obliterate, but that I just needed to be aware of the impermanent rising and passing. He said, when I did this, I came to nirvana, the third truth. I came to the end of suffering. No more craving, no more aversion, no more selfish, self-centeredness, no more clinging to I, me, mine. He said it was really mindfulness that was the key, the four foundations of mindfulness. And when he was asked, well, what, uh, what remains when we're not fueled, when our life isn't fueled by craving and aversion and self-centered fear, he said, what remains is a feeling of loving kindness for all living beings. He says, now my heart naturally has love and kindness for myself and for everyone else, all living beings, now that I'm free from that clinging to self. He says, and now I have compassion for my own pain. I'm able to meet my own pain with friendliness, not hating my pain, but learning to be with it, to tolerate it, to have mercy and compassion, and not just my pain, but the pain of others, all living beings met with compassion. He said, and you know, non-attached appreciation and equanimity. And so part of what's being said here in traditional Buddhism is that if you practice mindfulness deeply enough, long and, and you know, long-term outcome will be a loving heart, a compassionate heart, heart-mind. A non-attached appreciation and equanimity will be the outcome of mindfulness. And as those of you who are part of this community and come regularly, you know that 90% of the time I'm giving you mindfulness meditation instructions. It's what we mostly do here. Because I do believe actually that mindfulness will lead to compassion if you're practicing mindfulness appropriately. Concentration meditations will not lead to compassion, but mindfulness eventually will. You turn towards your pain. You turn, you see the, you see the impermanence. You're not just ignoring it. All of that having been said, my own teachers early in my practice and my view is rather than waiting for mindfulness to do the trick <laughs> rather than just say i'm only going to practice mindfulness and wait for the compassion to spontaneously arise in my heart the buddha also said in the meantime develop compassion through reciting these phrases develop loving kindness train your mind to be kind at one point somebody said well how do these like repetition of phrases or this repetition of meditation work and he says it's as though you had a soft stone and you were dripping water on it over and over and that water would just bounce off but eventually if you put water in that soft stone enough times it will create a trail it'll create a, a divot in the stone it'll create a pathway 
and I don't know if you're catching on to this, a lot of you've probably heard me say this before. My sense is what he was talking about was neuroscience, that he understood neuroplasticity and that what he was teaching us was, if you say kind things over and over and compassionate things over and over, and you say forgiveness a million times until you mean it, you will create forgiveness pathways in your mind. You will create compassionate pathways in your, you know, uh, you'll create those neuro pathways by the repetition of these phrases that we do in the heart practices. So being a kind of, you know, Western science indoctrinated person, I like this perspective that what we are literally doing is training our minds by, by saying, in loving kindness tonight, we'll say to ourselves, may I be happy? And then maybe you'll have that internal feeling of like, no, <laughs> I'm not happy. I'm not even sure I deserve to be happy with all of the, you know, shit I've caused in my life, all the shit I've been through. Um, and you say, may I be at ease? And then, you know, internally, maybe, maybe you, some people, say these phrases to themselves and they're like finally i'm giving myself permission to be kind to myself and you eat it up some of us like my experience has been i had a lot of resistance a lot of conditioning that said this isn't safe it's too vulnerable it's too soft it's too uh fake it's too like i even was suspicious when i learned loving kindness like everything I said so far, when the Buddha said there's suffering, there's a cause of suffering, I was like, this guy's onto something. He knows about suffering. I know about suffering. We started talking about loving kindness. I was like, I don't know. Maybe this is some shit the hippies maybe added in in the 60s. Because, you know, when you were talking about suffering and sickness and old age and death, I was in. But then when you started to talk about be kind to everybody all the time, I'm suspicious now. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if I can even learn to do that. So foreign to my wounding, to my conditioning. Now, loving kindness. In the Buddha's original teachings, uh, there's a whole teaching and the core meditation instruction is, may all beings be at ease. He says, wishing in gladness and safety, this repetition of training your mind to wish ease upon all living beings, including ourselves. And it's this general wish that is always appropriate. May all beings be at ease. May I be at ease. And it's connected to equanimity in some ways, because what we're saying is, may I be at ease. May you be at ease, no matter what's happening. It's not saying, may everything be easy for you and go your way and may you have no struggles and no, you know, may you live a fantasy life. It's saying, may you learn to be at ease, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, whether your life is really fun right now or really challenging right now. Um, may you learn to be at ease with what is. And so it's more of a wish for acceptance, a wish for uh, contentment in the midst of your reality not may I be at ease when shit gets better right now in the midst of whatever's happening. May I learn to be at ease. So that's the core meta loving kindness phrase. 
Then saying, uh, the way that I learned metta, my teachers, my father, Stephen Levine, and my early teachers, Cornfield and Goldstein and Sol Sharon Salzberg wrote a cool book called Loving Kindness. And it's something like the revolutionary art of happiness. Um, and it was one of the first teachings I read on, on loving kindness. And the way that they did it was a commentary-based instruction that said, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering. May you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free from suffering. So you may have learned it that way from me or from another teacher. Technically, when we're using all three of those phrases, may you be happy is an appreciation phrase, not a meta phrase. May you be happy, may your happiness grow, may it continue. That is uh, what we call mudita, appreciative joy. May you be at ease, that's metta. May you be free from suffering is actually compassion. It's karuna, compassion teaching. May you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free from suffering, is how we generally, in the kind of Western Buddhist tradition, we call it metta, we call it loving kindness. But technically we're doing the first three heart practices together. Happiness, ease, and so appreciation, kindness, and compassion. And even that ease, uh, loving kindness, as I said, has a bit of equanimity in it. So in some ways we're doing all four of them. May you be at ease with what is. Very similar, loving kindness and equanimity. Equanimity has some more specific teachings on uh, understanding karma. We'll get there in the next few weeks. Maybe that's enough. Uh, as a setup for anybody who's new to these practices. I'll give the instructions and um, I might mostly stick with loving kindness towards ourselves tonight. Um, I probably will open, there is some commentary based traditional uh, five categories where you send it to your benefactors, to neutral people, to um, your enemies, uh, to yourself and to all living beings. Uh, tonight I might, we'll see where it goes, but I might keep it a little bit on learning to be kind, compassionate, appreciative towards ourselves, because um, I do believe that we have to experience this stuff from the inside out. And most people will admit it's easier to feel kind and compassionate towards others than it is towards ourselves. Uh, and I would question how genuine our compassion for others is if we don't have compassion for ourselves first and foremost. And that when we do have kindness towards ourselves, then our kindness uh, feels like more genuine towards others. So find a way to sit that's comfortable. We'll, I'll give some meditation instructions and we can have some discussion afterwards. Take a moment to adjust your posture so that it's relaxed, but upright. Release any unnecessary tension, soften your belly, your jaw, your shoulders.
Imagine letting the flesh of your body hang loosely around the upright skeleton. And reflect on your healthy desire to be happy, to be at ease, to not suffer. This wise, natural, universal feeling we all have of wanting happiness and ease, well-being, Perhaps even taking a moment to reflect on all of the dead ends that we've traveled down seeking happiness. In sense pleasures or materialism, all of the things that haven't worked very well. Got us strung out, sent to rehab, locked up, or just dissatisfied, just unhappy. Just stressed out. The Buddhist perspective is that the causes of happiness are internal, not external. The experience of ease and well-being is a skill we can develop in our own trained mind, our own wise heart. It's not about the world being any different than it is, but we can transform our responses to the world. Begin saying to yourself with as much sincerity as you can muster in this time, may I be happy just as I am. Even if you don't quite mean it yet, just dropping that intention into the heart-mind May I be at ease, just as I am. May I be at ease with this mind and its wonderful abilities and its not so wonderful habits, tendencies. May I be at ease in this body with its cravings and aversions, limitations. This body is subject to aging and illness and death. May I learn to be at ease in this impermanent body.
may I be free from suffering. The Buddhist understanding that suffering is caused by clinging to pleasure, may I be free from clinging and the suffering that that attachment, that craving, that clinging creates in my life. And I free myself from clinging, learning to let go. May I be free from the suffering of resentment, aversion to pain. May I learn to meet my pain with mercy compassion. The short form is, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering. Saying this to yourself slowly over and over. Placing these kind thoughts in your heart and mind. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free. But understanding that we're not wishing for some magical solution, but that we're developing the skill Developing kindness. If your mind starts to think about something else, just come back to the next phrase, start over. Replace that plan, memory, fantasy with the humble aspiration. May I be happy in this moment, just as I am. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering.
take some effort to continue this slow mantra-like practice over and over. Pause between phrases and soften your belly. Breathe it into your heart. You don't have to mean it or feel any certain way for it to be working. Just one drop of this wise aspiration after the other, creating a habit of being kind to ourselves, wishing ourselves well, ease, freedom.
discomfort in your body starts to take your attention away from the phrases, direct the phrases towards the discomfort. May I be at ease with this ache, with this pain, with this discomfort. May I be free from suffering about this unpleasant sensation, learning to meet it with compassion rather than resisting it and making it worse. May I learn to be happy and content in the midst of unpleasantness. real-time application of metta, of loving-kindness, towards the sensations in your body.
as we connect with our own very natural desire to be happy, to be at ease, to not suffer. We can begin extending this universal human condition to each other, understanding that just as I wish to be happy, I know this is true for you as well. I understand that we all want to be at ease. None of us want to suffer. So perhaps beginning by sending these loving kindness phrases to the people you were talking to in the small groups, the beginning of class. May you be happy. May you be at ease with your life just as it is, with your mind, your body. May you learn to meet the pain in your life with compassion, the pleasure with non-attached appreciation. Through your own effort, may you be free from suffering. Not a magical wish, but an encouragement, a well-wishing for our own hearts to be more expansive, more open, extending loving kindness to each other. Just as I wish to be free, may you be free. May you be at ease. May you be happy. bringing to mind all of the important people in your life, your loved ones, friends, family, your sangha, your fellowship, your community. Radiating kindness from your heart to theirs. May you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free, my friends.
gradually expanding beyond the known to the unknown outward in all directions, east and west, north and south, above, below, perhaps visualizing, imagining this planet and covering all of the continents and oceans with loving kindness, including all of the living beings, the humans, the animals, the sky, the sea, earth, with a wish for happiness and ease and well-being, with compassion for all of the suffering that's happening right now on this planet, with appreciation for all of the joy that is also happening right now on this planet. Ending with a couple of minutes of the inclusive phrases where we say, may all beings be happy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free from suffering.
reflecting for a moment on your experience. If it's a new practice to you, kind of just inquiring, uh, what was that like? How did it feel? How sincere was that inner voice? How much resistance? Judgment, maybe? If you've been doing this practice for some time, reflecting on, you know, how was it tonight? And how, how has this developed over the years of practice? How has it shifted? If it has. As I said earlier, you know, we all have different relationships to these kind of practices. I had a lot of resistance to loving kindness practice uh, in the beginning. And it took me um, really years of persevering with it and saying it and not really meaning it very, kind of not being real sincere about the well wishes towards myself or, or others on some level. But that at some point there was a shift where the phrases started to feel more genuine, more authentic, more, more sincere. And I started to feel um, like, the, like it was more true to, I actually really want uh, the sincerity of it became more clear. And then um, at some point I stopped resisting it and started to really feel quite um, like almost a warmth like that the practice will create of like this inner feeling of um, like yes this is what I, I this is true this is I, I do want to be happy I do want to be at ease I do want to be free from suffering and then also this feeling of like actually I'm, I am mostly at ease oh you know this was not true when I began this practice and after these many years of practice uh, it was such an aspiration in the beginning. And then at some point, you know, we come to the place where it's like, I'm not just wishing for this, I'm embodying this. I actually do feel happy a lot of the time. I actually do feel at ease a lot of the time. I'm actually free from suffering. It's not just, uh, I want to be there, but I am here. Sometimes there's a form of this practice where we say, uh, may I be happy? May I do what needs to be done to be happy? I am doing what needs to be done. That acknowledging that it's not just aspirational, it's an action that I'm putting in. May I be at ease? May I do what needs to be done? So it's not a magical wish. May I magically be at ease? It's not like a prayer. We're not looking for some sort of external uh, grace to bestow ease, ease on us. We're training our mind. May I do what needs to be done to be at ease? I am doing what needs to be done. I'm actually taking those actions right now. And then the results are more and more ease in our lives. Maybe open to discussion, um, questions, comments about this kind of practice and, and how it feels and any questions about it. Please, Ramage. Um, I mean, 
still kind of one of the first things I think about. Well, at least, well, maybe, maybe it's more of just that listening to too many monastics, but like, you know, like Ajahn Amaro was talking about this whole, the new age thing about loving yourself. And he's like, what do you mean? There is no self. Like, what are we even talking about here? Right? And, and, that part so that part to me is still I'm kind of like yeah what is what is going on there so with it I can maybe kind of make sense of the compassion is kind of like you know if, you know if just like if there's pain in someone else if there's pain like I don't know and like the, one of the five aggregates it's like that's not self and you feel compassion for this thing that's not self kind of makes sense but the the love that that I'm still miss, or is it like for the aggregates and the same as for there would be some other being or some, I don't know. You know, the, when we say ourselves, what are we talking about, right? We're not talking in, uh, yes, in the ultimate Buddhist understanding, there's not a solid, separate, permanent self to be found here, but in the kind of common way when, you know, say I am, what are you talking about? You're talking about your body, your mind, your, uh, you know, emotion, your heart, you know, these aggregates, what, you know, what you're referring to as the aggregates. So yeah, learning to be kind and loving towards the aggregate of, of mind, of consciousness and of, you know, the mind states, learning to be loving and kind towards this self of the, you know, this body. It's not a permanent self. We know that. You know, once you know that, you know that, but it doesn't, it's still worthy of kindness and, and a loving, a friendly relationship because we're battling until awakening, we're battling that aversive, clinging, craving tendency that the aggregates produce. So friendliness, love, kindness, compassion towards your body, towards your mind, towards your heart. Yes, it's not ultimately who you are, but it is your experience on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And so my, my sense of what's being said here is learn to be kind to all of these experiences that we are having, to all of these experiences that we are having. And, you know, maybe if you can dwell in the emptiness of self, then maybe love isn't necessary. Maybe it is a relative skill um on that you know but for the rest of us that aren't there <laughs> aren't in abiding in the emptiness uh and we're mostly reacting in the relative you know uh emotional reactive physical world the kinder you can be the less you'll suffer the more loving you know and love and kindness and you know meta we call loving kindness but the, I'm told that the more literal translation is unconditional friendliness. And we could ask the same question, friendliness to who, uh, to what? I don't know if everybody's familiar with what, where Ramage is asking this question from that in Buddhism, um, the understanding is there is no self. So who am I being friendly to? <laughs> uh, there's no permanent self. There's no autonomous self. But we can just take this practice on more of a relative level, being kind to your body, to your mind, to your heart will alleviate so much unnecessary suffering in, your, in our lives.
Thanks, Frank. Um, yeah, so what you said that really resonated with me this time is this idea of having mercy on your fear. And I've been living in a lot of fear these last three or four months. And um, I always think of these different aspects of myself as literal impersonations, like different cartoon characters, you know, we're in this nice warm cabin sitting around a table eating noodle soup or whatever. And outside fear is like, it's just dark and heavy, you know, and I never thought of personifying fear as like this character. Yeah. And what would that look like to be merciful and invite him into the cabin? You yeah. Know? And so it kind of occurred to me and, you know, open the door and this kind of jagged black kind of crystalline brittle guy comes in like dude you've been doing a lot of fucking heavy lifting out there you know come on in have some soup have a soup <laughs> you know and just the idea of having that and being merciful to this thing that's been so intense these last months was yeah. like a real i mean it really transformed my my understanding of what that can be so um, i really appreciate it I just love sometimes in, in these meditations, I get these images that yeah. just make me laugh. Yeah. Whereas, you know, before I got here, I was like ready to slip my throat open. You know, it's just such a great perspective. It's a really classic image um, in, I think, Tibetan Buddhism, where they talk about inviting the demons in for tea. That as long as we are afraid of fear and try to keep it at bay or anger or lust or whatever afflictive emotion it is and try to keep it out as long as we're resisting it uh it just grows more powerful and more scary and more um, but then when you actually say you know okay hello fear and lust and greed and <laughs> self-pity or whatever that strong emotion is and you invite it in and you turn towards it and you tend to it may you be at ease, you know, you're welcome here. You, you know, you also belong this afflict, you know, these difficult emotions, the wise emotions, the loving, the kindness, the friendliness includes response to every aspect of our mind that produces all kinds of afflictive emotions. So I love that you spontaneously had that insight of like, oh, resistance is going to make it worse. But if I invite it in, it's not as scary as it is when I try to keep it out. And it's kind of impossible to keep out or it shuts, you know, that image of like, now I have to stay in, you know, away from it, numb something. And it's just impossible to avoid. So loving kindness, not just, you know, when we're talking about towards ourselves and the way that Ramage asked that question, um, you know, the skandhas of the mind, you know, and the, the, it's just part of what we are, are. it's part of what we're experiencing. And it includes joy and sorrow and includes, you know, faith and fear and confidence and doubt and all of those dualities of our human mind. And we like the positive ones, but we don't like the ones that are, are, are painful or afflictive. Um, we have to learn to be kind even to that, even to our confusion. Uh, what Buddha called Mara, right? That fear. And he just said, I see you, Mara. And, you know, you get to exist too. But I don't have to believe you. I don't have to. So I love that. I love that you had that experience. Uh, if anybody at home has a question, um, feel free to raise your hand in the reactions uh, tab at the bottom there. Tibby, go ahead. Hey, Noah. 
you're talking about the non-self, receiving love and compassion. Like if we're if we aren't self, right? Let me think it. Let me. I I don't know if I'm making this up, and I just want to affirm it. That bullshit teacher thing, or if I'm right, right? If we're not self, and we're just oh, we see the skin. All those practices. Oh, skin. Compassion of the skin. Then. The person on the outside that I'm in a financial relationship with that I want to kill right now, right? She's just like the skin. It's just, it's skin. It's this thing outside. It's just, it's what it's what it is right now. But so that's why I'm asking you the the non-self. We're just looking at these different conditions and elements in ourselves. Right? It makes up and giving it love and kindness. But we're not saying, oh, the skin is mine. Is that incorrect? Can you correct me on that? Um, you know, temporarily, we are these bodies. And we are totally responsible for our actions in these bodies. And, you know, we have the karma that we uh, that our actions, our volitional speech and our volitional actions. There is a karmic momentum playing itself out through this body that is me, that is you. Right. That's true. So we don't want to use ultimately that there's not a self to be found in your body or a self to be found in my body to somehow dismiss total responsibility and also needing to have good boundaries and needing to have conflict and when somebody's you know taking advantage of you financially or we don't want to use ultimate teachings to get in the way of uh, understanding you know the equanimity teaching is probably more appropriate for this situation yes loving kindness yes compassion yes appreciation the equanimity teaching that says remember everyone has their own karma everyone's happiness or unhappiness is going to depend on their actions their karma not our wishes you know you can uh wish your you know you can suffer a lot in this lifetime about wishing um you know ill will upon your enemies but actually your hatred of them is not going to make them unhappy probably depending on how much they care about you but <laughs> you know their karma is going to make them unhappy it's not our wishes. Likewise, you can love somebody unconditionally and your love isn't gonna make them happy. That has to come from in them, within them. It's their non-attachment, it's their love, their compassion that's going to truly make them happy. It doesn't, so we don't wanna take these uh, ultimate teachings about self and forget the relative truth that we have karma for our actions. And yes, we don't want to suffer at people. I was actually watching my mind wander into some resentment during the loving kindness tonight. And, um, and it like, I, you know, does your mind have like the top 10 favorite people to resent? And it just says, <laughs> you know, like you're sitting there and your mind says, you know, remember that fucker? And my mind started doing that. I'm like, man, I've, you know, I've spent so much time suffering at this person. And just came, came back to the phrase, may I be at ease? May I be free? But the mind's habit, it just wants to suffer at them again. Wow, you want to go back? To, oh, we're on that one again? <laughs> Big surprise. 
may I be at ease in this moment. I don't actually want to feed that resentment. I don't want to say it doesn't stop my mind from drifting to it. Moment of quiet. Hey, why don't you suffer about that resentment? Uh, let me come back. May I be at ease? May I be free? May I be happy in this moment? I don't want to feed that thought. Um, so yes, skin, bones, flesh, organs, nervous system, consciousness. You know, I don't know where the self is in here. Where, where's the I? Where's the me? Where's the mind? This is the Buddha's question. Good question. But let's not let that get in the way of saying, I'm fully responsible for my actions in this body, in this lifetime, whether there's a self to be found or not. You're fully responsible for your actions in that body in this lifetime, whether we want to call that a self or not. Buddhism lands in there's not a permanent self, but there is a karmic momentum happening here that each one of us owns. Those five daily reflections. I'm subject to sick, I'm sickness, aging, death, loss. My only true possession are my karma. The only thing that we actually own in this lifetime, you, know, you don't get to keep your car, you don't get to keep your shoes, you don't get to keep your partner, none of that. What do you keep at death? Your karma. That's it. Your only true possession, how you have behaved in this lifetime from the Buddhist perspective. And so remembering that and remembering that whoever is you're in conflict with, they have their karma in it. And we don't want to also use someone else's, you know, well, they have their karma, so I don't need to have good boundaries or I don't need to get the lawyer and do the, you know, legal thing because they ripped me off. We still want to have those, uh, you know, I guess, relative societal, you know, accountability when somebody rips us off, They're like, what can I do? Well, I guess I, I guess we're going to court, you know, if you're not going to pay your debts or whatever it is. If there's some, you know, something we can do, we do it. And if there isn't something that we uh, can do, then we let it go as much as we can. I don't see any hands at home, so please, Will. I hope your answer doesn't overlap too much with the previous, but I find myself recently, uh, you talk about forgiveness and compassion. I recently spent some time back home on the East Coast with some friends, some people I care about, who I feel uh, that I'm lacking forgiveness and compassion for in the fact that I feel compassion for them and that I am trying to impart some of the things that I've cultivated by coming here and all that kind of stuff. They suffer in a way that I try to butt in and help, which I, you know, whether I'm doing the right thing or not, I feel like I am. But then when it comes to feeling compassion and forgiveness for others, I find myself getting mad at them, right? And just yesterday, I had an imaginary argument with one of them. I was like, do I hate this fucking guy? <laughs> no, I, I love them. And I, I find myself having difficulty with the uh, feelings toward them. Have you done the equanimity practice yet? Maybe not. You will, you know, we do it here. We do it in refuge. 
and there's the the core phrase which i was saying you know around to, to tibby is to bringing that friend to mind and maybe sending them some forgiveness asking them for forgiveness sending them some loving kindness you know um sending them some compassion you know seeing like oh i know this is a person who suffers like i do and i you know i'm doing my best to care about their suffering and then the equanimity phrase that says i also understand that this person's happiness or unhappiness is dependent on their actions how they are responding to what's happening in their life not my wishes for them it can be a little bit tricky in these first three practices where i'm wishing may you be happy may you be at ease may you be free from suffering but then the Buddha says, now remember, your wishes ain't going to do shit for them. Your wishes are going to free your heart. Your wishes are going to make you a happier, more uh, compassionate, more loving person in how you show up towards yourself and in the world. But our wishes aren't magically going to take anybody else's ignorance, confusion, attachment away from them. Everyone has to do that work for themselves. You know, there's probably a lot of people wishing uh, that you would have gotten sober a long time ago. <laughs> That's not just for him, for all a lot of us, right? But their wishes couldn't get us sober. You know, and the Buddha's like, yeah, duh. Nobody's wishes or prayers or meditations are going to magically do anything for anybody but ourselves. You'll become kind, you'll become loving, you'll become compassionate. That's not going to remove anybody else's suffering, only yours. So remember the equanimity that says, don't get attached to other people's outcomes. They have to do that work. Now, compassion says, I love you. I care about you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll confront you. I'll try to educate you. I'll try to support you. I'll try to encourage you. I'll try to inspire you. All of those things. But I know I can't control you. I'll try to inspire you to do the right thing for yourself, but I know I can't make you do it. And, you know, sometimes when we're really excited about something, we can be like, yo, have you heard about Buddhism? It's amazing. This dude was right. And people are just like, well, you really lost your shit. You lost your mind on some religious bullshit. What'd they do to you in California? You were so punk before. Now, Fucking hippies got you, Will, man. Those fucking California people. It's not metal at all. <laughs> um, anyways, I hope that's helpful. I think that the equanimity practice, uh, for me, it's been really key to see, oh, I can get real attached to wanting people to agree with me, wanting people to uh, see, oh, the Dharma is like, this is it. Like, we have a map for living. And so many people are like, what are you fucking, what are you talking about? It's not for everyone. Last one. I want to just piggyback off what you said, something that's helped me. Um, I listen to a lot of Ram Das, and one of the things he's saying about someone he is having trouble with is he put a picture of them on the altar. And it used to be like, fuck you, fuck you, you know? And I put, I have a, a untreated, very narcissistic sister who's intertwined with my mom and their karma is very interesting talking about the compassion I have for them. Uh, I found myself a lot more at ease putting a picture of my sister on my altar and I cannot I cannot 
you know, I try to send, I do as much forgiveness, I try to, boy, I wish I could send all the love to fix them, but I, you can't do that. And so I found my reaction to what happens a lot better. And even when it's really intense, you know, just looking at her and finding comfort in myself because that's all I can do. I can't control her. So um, if it helps you put a picture of them up and some days you're going to want to be like, oh, <laughs> that's just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, how's your reaction? Bring your awareness to. That's been helping me a lot. So, yeah. That's good advice. And we'll end there tonight. Uh, it's almost nine o'clock. Um, next week, we'll, see, we'll all stick with these um, teachings. Maybe we'll go into compassion, maybe forgiveness next week. And we'll spend the next few weeks going through these different heart, heart training practices. So um, maybe if you're, if you're down for a little challenge, uh, do 30 minutes of loving kindness every day this week as your daily practice this may i be happy may i be at ease may i be free from suffering do it for 30 minutes every day on your cushion or chair wherever you meditate and then when you're walking through your life when you're driving down the freeway as often as you remember put these thoughts in your mind may i be happy may I? when somebody cuts you off send them loving kindness may you be happy motherfucker <laughs> may you be at ease may you be free from suffering when you know when you're getting annoyed at work or in your relationship or think about bringing these phrases up more and more often and just see what happens when you uh get your mind to think these friendly thoughts um, and replace some of the unfriendly thoughts with these kind of thoughts towards yourself and each other and then we'll um open to a new practice next week uh class is done um, by donation uh, Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization that is supported by your generosity. Nobody's paying the bills around here. And as you see, you don't have to pay to come here. Everyone's welcome to come here free from any kind of set charge. But the tradition in Buddhism is to support teachers and centers and communities through freely offering what feels appropriate to you. Uh, if you need a ballpark for a drop-in class, like maybe $25 is appropriate. Um, something like you'd spend on a yoga class, maybe, you know, you might spend 20 or $30 on a yoga class um, or go into the movie or, you know, thinking of all the ways we spend money. Um, if you feel like this is a worthy place to offer some money, please be as generous as feels appropriate to you. If you um, can, please consider becoming a monthly supporter of Against the Stream. I'm saying I'd like to just support the organization, the community, by offering, uh, I think there's like $25, $50, a month so that you're just um, choosing a level of support that you offer, whether you're coming to class or not coming to class, just saying, I want to support it, not just when I go there. Um, please consider that. The link for donations is in the chat uh, for you folks on, on Zoom. And Tara is our volunteer. She'll be at the desk and you can donate cash or Venmo or cards over there with her about seven day last announcement there's a seven day retreat in um september 
coming up uh, September 8th through 15th, seven day silent meditation retreat, um, just up the mountains in Angeles Mountains, uh, Running Springs, I believe. Uh, you're all invited. If you haven't registered yet, please uh, check out the registration. There's QR codes on the board over there, or there's a link um, to the in the chat here. And uh, registration is a little light. We often get more registrations the last couple of weeks, but it's good for us to know who's coming so we can plan food and um, you know where people are sleeping and all of that stuff. But please consider joining us seven day retreat. I think that's all I got for tonight. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions with all living beings. May all beings be happy, may all beings be at ease, may all beings be free. And may, may we together create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.